Sermon title today is Die to Yourself. Die to Yourself. Let's all die a little bit today, how about? There's a lot of living going on in our lives that needs to die and be put to death. And so we're going to read Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, and then we're going to die together this morning. Starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. The world has a way of existing. The world. Everybody's talking about worldly when, you know, 30, 40 years ago, and worldliness has is, is fallen out of fashion to talk about. But we're going to talk a little bit about worldliness today. And we know several different things that come to our mind when we think about worldliness. And depending upon what denominational or church background you have, different things, behaviors, uh, actions fit in the category of, of worldly. But today I want to talk about the way of the world, the pattern of the world as it is today. What is worldly thinking? And the world definitely has a way. And you've heard me talk about this before. If you remember back to our sermon series on... Uh, on being human. We talked a lot about the way of the world. And this morning, I just want you to, uh, to be reminded of some of those things. So think things like this that you have been hearing recently or over the last couple years that have really come to the forefront of popularity. Love yourself. You heard that a lot recently? Your problem is you just don't love yourself enough. If you would fall in love with yourself, things would get in line for you. You really just need to love yourself. You really just need to care for yourself. We know that when you're flying on an airplane, you're supposed to take the oxygen mask off and they say put it on yourself before you put it on your children. And many have taken that as a principle to be applied in all of life and have said things like this, me before you. I got to take care of me first and then I can take care of others. My life and happiness is more important than anyone else's life and happiness. These are things that people just drink like Kool-Aid. It's just, yep, yep, I, that sounds good. It sounds good on Instagram. It sounds good on a t-shirt. Uh, I like it. Seems to make sense. My life is more important than your life. Fix yourself. I really just need to work on myself. Or the general sentiment of asking people to be inconvenienced for me or expecting people to be inconvenienced for me but then offended when anyone asks me to be inconvenienced for them. To top it all off, today, the way of the world, so I'm going to be messing with my glasses because they're not there, but they've been so, it's kind of like when you lose an arm or leg or something, you have these phantom pains. So I'm going to be messing with my glasses for the rest of the sermon. <laughs> to top it all off, you don't need God for forgiveness anymore because you can forgive yourself. And there, there's a the shred of truth in this, of, of saying that you need to accept the forgiveness that God has given you as a believer. But that's not how it's used in, the, in our world today. You don't need God for anything anymore because you can do for yourself what, what the Bible says God can only do for you. So you can forgive yourself, love for yourself, care for yourself, do everything for yourself. This is the way of the world. It's so popular. Self-help has been demolished, smashed, and replaced by self-love and self-care. Narcissism is the virtue of the day. Self-obsession is looked as virtuous. And if you're not self-obsessed, people wonder what's wrong with you. You must have a poor self-esteem. You must not have a proper view of self. If you're not loving yourself like everybody else is loving themselves. 
And so I think today when we talk about being a living sacrifice, I think the sermon is really timely. And this idea of if I, I, I look after me, if I put me first, then I'm going to be more healthy is a satanic lie. And Christians, I think, also can fall true, fall, fall prey to the whispers of the enemy as the enemy comes and says, you're the most important person on earth. If you just focus on yourself, you just focus on you. You be you. You live your truth. You make your way in this world. You'll be better and you can better take care of others. So the other end, the lie is, if I, if I just take care of myself and put myself first, I'll be able to better take care of others. So I think a huge question is, are we, are we going to be self-focused or are we going to be other-focused and God-focused? Jesus comes along and says, deny yourself. That's hate speech in a culture of narcissists. Hate speech in a culture of narcissists. So Romans chapter 12 is a notable transition. So we see these transitions, Romans 1 through 3 into chapter 4. We, we have a, a clear section on the fallenness of man, the sinfulness of man, and God's holiness and his righteousness and his justice and this theological teaching called justification. How can a person be right with God? And so the first part of Romans deals with this. How can a man be right with God? By grace, through faith, in Christ alone. That's the resounding answer that we get through all the Bible. It's not by works. It's by faith in Christ Jesus. And then in chapters 4 through 8, 4-ish through chapter 8, through the end of chapter 8, we get three big themes that keep coming and bubbling up in the surface. It's union with Christ. You are united with Christ as a believer. The assurance of our salvation that, that my standing before God rests squarely and firmly on the foundation of God, God's grace, not my ability to keep the works of the law. And we get themes of sanctification. So these three words, union with Christ, assurance of our salvation, and sanctification in the section chapter 4-ish through 8. And then in chapter 9 through 11, we get to see what we've been talking about the last, last few weeks, God's eternal purposes in salvation among the Jews and the Gentiles. How do we get saved? What's God's eternal purposes with His elect and with Israel and with the Gentiles and all the mechanics of that? And we make a big transition in light of all of that, all that's true and all that's been said. Now, let's talk about how we live, Christian living. Here's instruction. Here's how you're to live. And I think this area is an often neglected area amongst people who love God's grace. I really do. We, we have lost, I think, in large part in modern day grace teaching, the, uh, the idea of the goodness of God's law and God's law over our life today, right now. What does God have to say about how I live my life? And he has a whole lot to say. Today we're going to be talking, and over the next several weeks, really through the end of, of Romans, we're going to be talking about the third use of God's law. And what does the third use of God's law mean? Well, I need to back up and talk about the first and second use of God's law quickly. The first use of God's law is that you would see that you're a sinner. God's holiness and the purity of it reveals, as a white t-shirt reveals a black spot, God's holiness reveals our sinfulness. And God's law is intended to work in us in such a way that we fall on our knees before a holy God and say, God, you are holy and I am sinful and apart from your grace, I am damned. And if I don't have your mercy, I am hopeless because I have rebelled against you. And if you've never been to that point, then God's law, I hope as we preach through this, I hope God's law crushes you. 
God's law is intended to crush you and to drive you to Jesus. It's not intended to make you feel good or feel like you can do it. It's intended to expose you as the sinner you are. But then on the backdrop of that, what God's law is, it drives you to the love of Christ. It shows you mercy and where you can find mercy. And the only place you can find mercy, and that mercy is named Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who came to live in your place to fulfill God's law for you and die the death you deserve. You don't look to the cross to see your value. You look to the cross to see Christ's value. And if you've wondered how, how big your sin really is before and you, you kind of like pity yourself a little bit, look to the cross and see actually how vile it is. Because that's what your sin is warranted. That's what you deserve. So the first use of God's law is to drive us to despair and hopelessness and to cry out for mercy. And when we do, we find it every time. That's the first use of the law. The second use of the law is civil restraint. So God has written eternity in the hearts of man that we may seek him and find him and feel our way toward him. So the law of God, the moral law of God is written upon every single person's heart throughout this globe. Murder is sin no matter what society and what culture you're in. There is an inner conscience that means it's part of what it means to be created in the image of God where God's moral law restrains Sinners restrains people to where people aren't as sinful as they could be. So God's moral law written upon our hearts restrains even the most vile person from being as vile as they possibly could be. And God is so gracious to write eternity on our hearts to bring some sense of conscience even to the most broken person to know that's right and that's wrong. And as one preacher said before, if you ever meet anybody who says that there's no such thing as sin and evil punch them in the face, and take their stuff, and then they'll tell you how wrong it is. Now, I'm not advocating for physical violence here to prove a point, but it is a quite uh, compelling form of apologetics. And then the third use of the law is God's law for Christian living. People who love God's grace should love God's law because God has been so kind to now tell us how to live. He's not left us alone and said, you know, figure this out. The, 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 the Holy Spirit of God within us directs us to what the Holy Spirit of God wrote for us. And when we look at it and when we hear commands, do this and don't do this, it's not legalism to say God expects this of you. And we are to obey him and we're to follow him. And we are to put to death the passions of the flesh and we're to obey and so this third use of the law is what we're talking about here. We're not talking about obedience to get God's mercy. We're talking about obedience because of how grateful we are to him for his grace. I just want to obey him. And we understand the magnitude of God's grace to us. And then when God just proverbially sits down and says, Now, Richard, here's how I want you to live. Because Richard knows how wonderful and gracious God is, his ears perk up and he says, Thank you for telling me how to live. I want to obey. I want to follow. It's going to be my joy to do so. I'll skip doing it. I want to obey. And even when we struggle to obey and are frustrated about it, our, our lack of obedience, we still want to because we know how gracious God has been. It would be absolutely crazy in light of God's grace to hear God's law to us today and say, well, I don't want to obey him. That's lunacy. Or that's legalism for him to ask me to obey because I've got grace. That's lunacy. And friends, there are antinomians in what's called reform circles, even lawless circles, 
there are lawless people who wave the banner of God's grace to be able to live worldly. And that's not what we're to do. We're to pursue holiness. We're to humbly walk with God and others. And this is what Paul appeals for us to do. Paul says this, look at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body. See that? I just messed with my glasses. Did you see that? I like that. Sorry, I called your attention away from the scriptures and to my fake glasses. Let's look again. I won't say that again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Brothers, this is a specific appeal and command to Christians. It's for us. Just like it was for the, for the church in Rome, it's for us. Brothers, I have an appeal for you. I have something for you, and it's going to require God's mercies for you to obey. Do you see that, brothers? By the mercies of God, you're going to be required to do something. I appeal to you by those mercies to obey. Now, something we need to know about Christian obedience. Christian obedience requires the mercies of God. Christians are never, ever, ever at any point in our life, even the most godly among us, Christians never outgrow the need, the necessity, and by God's grace, the desire for more and more of His mercy. We never get to a point in our Christian life where we can say to God, I do not need your mercy to obey anymore. We know we're desperate for His morning, daily mercies. Morning, noon, evening, I need the mercy of God. And if I'm going to obey, if I'm going to be a living sacrifice, I'm only going to do it by the mercy of God. Not under my strength, not under my power. I have to have God's mercy, even as we are indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit. Power to obey God comes from the mercies of God. We are always dependent creatures, always. God, we need your mercy. The Christian never outgrows this. We always need God's mercy. And Christian maturity knows this. The young on fire person sometimes says silly things like I used to say. God's done his part. Now it's time for me to do my part. He's done enough. Now I'm going to get to work. I stood and said that to a youth group one time. I was clueless. And you know what? God was still gracious for me, even with bad theology. Imagine that. He's kind. Good theology, by the way, is not a prerequisite of his grace. There's a lot of people with bad theology who are born again who are recipients of His grace right now. But the attitude, I got this on my own, has no place in the kingdom of God. I got this on my own has no place in the kingdom of God. Right now, this moment, you need God's mercy to obey Him this week. If we're going to be living sacrifices, then we need to petition Him. God, help me... Be merciful to me. I need some mercies this morning. As we think about what Christ has done for me, I want to slay the flesh this week. I want to die to myself this week. We need His mercy. So what does God call us to do by His mercies? Living sacrifice. I've already said it a couple times. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Present our bodies as a living sacrifice? Are you kidding me? Welcome to Christianity. Daily sacrifice. Now, when I said this is counter-cultural, this is antithetical to the way of the world. Live today sacrificially. Sacrifice your very body. Are you kidding me? The world won't ever tell you that. In the list of Instagram memes, you're never going to get 
sacrifice yourself for your husband or your children or for your wife or your children? If you saw that, literally, if you saw that on Instagram, you know how much like, it would be filled up with hate back to that? You kidding me? You gotta take care of yourself first. Don't sacrifice for other people. Don't lay your life down for them. But we are to live with our bodies, like our physical bodies, our whole selves. We're to live to die. Welcome to death. Christianity is coming from death to life, spiritual death to spiritual life, and it's also the other way around, coming from life to death. There's a part of you that comes alive when you awaken to the grace grace of Jesus Christ. And there's the old part of you that's dead, and you continually die the rest of your life. That's the path to self-care, by the way. Death to yourself. On the other end of that is the most healthy version of you. And if you want to hold on and indulge the flesh and live your way and live your truth, it's not caring caring for yourself. That's self-indulgence. And self-indulgence is the path to hell. The world won't ever tell you things like this. You have to come to the scriptures to find things like this. Die to sinful desires. Do not embrace and indulge them. Do not gather around you people to agree with you and celebrate your excess. Christians are called to sacrifice. That is the best way for you to be healthy. So what's called self-care today? What's called self-care today is indulgence in idolatry. Indulgence in idolatry. And it's horrible for the self. It's absolutely horrible. We are called to die to ourself. The posture of the believer, in other words, is I will sacrifice for the good of others and the glory of God. I am willing to be used at my expense. My posture to others is not always expecting them to die for my expense. Or walking around as if I'm entitled to everyone else's sacrifice for me. I'm not just willing to be thrown into prison for Christ. I'm willing to put my spouse's desires before my own. I'm willing to be used at cost of what I want. This is hard. This is really hard. Because I find myself regularly thinking about my hunting more, more than something else. I'm in this hunting craze right now. Maybe it's like a pre-midlife crisis or something. I don't know. But I just think about hunting all the time. Terry's going to take me rabbit hunting. I'm going to give me another rabbit, you know. And going turkey hunting. I got all this stuff lined up. And self-denial is this thing that's, it's a life, anybody to the point, and your spouse can testify whether this is true or not, where you're like, I have, I have fully arrived at denying myself and what I want. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There's always more of ourselves to give to somebody else or for somebody else. And so this is, the, this is the call. Die to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Men want to challenge you to lead in dying to yourself. Make it a prayer in the mornings. Am I living a self-indulging life or a life of self-denial? Am I thinking more about myself than everyone else? It's, it's, it's hard to think about. 
There's a, an example from the show, This Is Us. I don't recommend you to, to watch it because the, the LGBTQ plus stuff got a hold of it. And it's just so annoying. And it's so annoying on TV. Just, you just get it crammed down your throat, this propaganda. And it's just so stinking annoying. But this show started off as really, really good. This Is Us. Remember that? Like, okay, Jack Pearson. And I've said, I, I think I've mentioned a few things before about This Is Us. But Jack Pearson is this, this, uh, this, this guy, this character that ladies crush on and, uh, and guys want to be like. He's this, this character where you watch him, and it's the, when, when godly patriarchy is on the scene, it's a glorious thing. It really is. And, and this show centers around a good man, a good man who loves himself. And there's a really powerful scene where he's in this episode thinking about starting his own construction company. And he wants to build this company. He's been building toward this, and he's got things printed off, and he's about to do this when all of a sudden there is a promotion at his work that comes up, and it's a desk job. And it's something that he doesn't want to do as much as he wants to launch this new business. And he has in his mind passing his kids on and working with his family. But what he saw here is an opportunity, even though it's something he wouldn't like as much as doing this, an opportunity for him to better care for his family. And he did it. He sacrificed what he wanted to do to care for his family. And he didn't whine and moan about it. He didn't demand everybody to see his sacrifice. He didn't say, look, honey, you see what I'm doing for you? You see what I'm giving up, what I really want for you and for these kids? It's an amazing scene. Took the job, and he didn't ask or expect everybody to praise him for it. Sacrifice. For him, the family being taken care of was more important than starting his own business. And this is... This is what true sacrifice of self requires. It's supposed to be holy and acceptable to the Lord. Look at this. Holy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. What does a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, mean? Well, it means, ding, 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 we're to do this in a holy and acceptable way. In other words, when we live sacrificially, we're not doing it to be seen by others. We're not doing it for the reward of the praise of people. You, you can live in such a way that you are sacrificing for others so that others will recognize your sacrifice. Living to be seen by others. And when they say, you know what, you always put other people first. And inside you're like, yes. Yes. Please give me more of that. Give me more of that because that, that's what you're after. We see this in Matthew 6. It's interesting. There's a group of people giving to the, to the needy. And Jesus warns about doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Because you can do the right thing for the wrong reasons. We see it all over the place. And Jesus says this. Matthew 6, 1-4. through 4, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your, your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees it in secret will reward you. If we do sacrificial acts and live sacrificially to be seen by others, that is the only reward we will get, and God is not impressed. When other people see our good works and praise us, when we're after that, then simple obedience, we are missing 
the mark. So this is why sometimes internally you can know this is, this is the case. When you do something for someone and nobody finds out and it bugs you and you just really want them to find out. Please, will you just please recognize what I did for you? You find out creative ways to hint at what you did to get the conversation going in that direction. Oh, yeah, I did that, honey. Yeah, yeah, I did that, whatever it may be. Pastors do this all the time. It's, it's called humble bragging. They get online and say, go to the hospital, pray with a dear saint. And she doesn't seem important, but she is. Here's the reason that's posted, because I want everybody else to know I'm going to pray for a dear saint. When we do things to be praised by others or to be seen by others, that's the reward that you get, and it's not from the Heavenly Father. And so internally, the way of the world, just it's, it's, all, it's all about me. Internally, spiritual worship, or hope, uh, sacrificial living that's holy and acceptable to God is living in such a way that it's not simply about the reward I get from the external action, but it's a thing from the heart. So you can do the right thing for the wrong reasons, for brownie points or gathering your list about how much you sacrifice. But what we're desiring and what we're after in Christian obedience and what we're pursuing this week and the rest of the day is a sacrificial posture that does the right thing knowing that God sees and that's enough. God sees and that's enough. I don't have to throw it out there for you or for my wife or anybody else to know what's what I've done that's so great. God sees, and that's enough. Let me just ask you, the, th the, like the, the things you do that are noble actions. If nobody sees it, not your wife, not your kids, or anybody else, only God, does that please your heart? Because you may live sacrificially in a way that's not holy and acceptable to the Lord. But our aim is, what we want it's enough that God sees. It's enough. That is our act of spiritual worship. This is how we are to live. An inside-out existence. Not about appearances. Not like the Pharisees who say, God, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner here. God, I thank you that I get to give more than this widow here. God, I pray that my giving and my sacrifice would be used by you. The whole point is that everybody else, as they look at the man on the street corner, praying out loud or telling everybody what he's giving, the whole point is that he would be praised. So we want to do the opposite of that. It's not just about external actions. It says, this is our spiritual worship which is your spiritual worship. External actions alone will make you a shell of a person. If you get a religious way about you and you just want to become a religious person, and you start doing religious things, you start going to church, you start reading your Bible, you start doing whatever it may be, you stop doing this or start doing that, stop smoking cigarettes, start smoking cigarettes, stop listening to Christian music, start listening to Christian music, not dancing, not putting your hair up, not putting your hair up. All the list of things we think about religious activity used to be not playing cards. Remember that? My grandma thought playing cards was wrong. Remember that? If you think playing cards is wrong, I'm sorry. Um, but it was like playing cards is wrong. Anything. You play Uno and she's praying for you, you know? <laughs> now, Grandma, just Uno. We're not gambling our family away or anything. So you get this, and, and if all you do is live your life externally, 
you become a shell of a person and you're just going to be miserable. Absolutely miserable. Spiritual worship is inside out worship and living. We want to be transformed in here. Do you really want to be a person who just does a real bunch of religious things but hates every minute of it? What kind of an existence is that? I'm going to love people because I have to, but not because it's from an inside out thing. Our aim here is spiritual worship. Now, Paul's going to help us out with this. Okay? Paul's going to help us out with this. And he's going to, he's going to help us out and he's going to tell us don't do something and do do something. Don't and do do. Don't and do do something. Okay? Do not and do this. And it's important when we our ears should perk up and we're told by God's word because it's not just the Apostle Paul here. When, when God tells us don't do this and do this, you know what our response should be? All right, I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to do that. And again, that's not legalism. That's just what it means to walk with God. How kind of God to tell us, don't do something this week, and to do something this week. That's really, that's, that's, it's God's grace. It's so important. Look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. Remember, as I stated at the beginning, the world has a way. In the cultural moment, this cultural moment, sacrificial living is viewed as an assault on human rights. An assault on human happiness. It feels like the natural impulse of just the world population. You go to this college campus and talk to a bunch of college kids all on Instagram or whatever they're on, and you tell them just sacrifice yourself? Like, that's about the worst advice I've ever heard in my life. Are you kidding me? I'm here to put myself first. It's not just college kids that are duped. It's that, this kind of stuff, like catchy phrases, there's so many things that sound right. and can, It's like the enemy shooting arrows and gets us to be self-indulgent and then proud about it. We're like, yeah, you know what? I do deserve this. Now, friends, the opposite of what we're talking about here is not self-loathing. We'll talk about this here in a little bit. Self-denial isn't I hate myself. Self-denial comes and it looks like confidence, humble confidence. I'm the Lord's. I'm going to obey Him. I'm going to deny myself. What He says goes. So the opposite isn't just, well, you're just going to you know, destroy your own life or something like that. Self-sacrificial living is the, the best version. You want to be the best version of you? Then we die to ourselves. But it's important we're to not be conformed to this world. We're not living just to get mine. We've already talked about the deadly nature of that. So here we say this. We talk about take care of you and the self-care stuff that's out there. There's a big difference between stewarding your body well and then the message of self-care religion right now. There's a big difference between the, between the two. There's a big difference between when we get mental health care, we want to honor God with our mind that he has given us. We're not seeking to exclude God from our life. Both examples, taking care of your body or taking care of your mind, what's so often called self-care, require, hear this, to take care of your body and take care of your mind, to be healthy, a healthy person. It requires self-denial. It requires it. I'm going to deny myself to honor what God has given me, both in my body and my mind, to be a more obedient person this week, to be more whole to see other people smile more because of your sacrificial living, it's going to require death to yourself. It's going to require, and it does a con continually 
requires just a rewiring of how we think. And the enemy wants us to be consumed with ourselves. Satan wants us to see narcissism as virtuous, as holy, as right. The enemy wants you to think that God is holding back on you just like he whispered to Eve in the garden. He wants you and he's telling you lies and he's telling you that to be a living sacrifice is not good for you. God's holding back on you. If you do this, you're going to be miserable the rest of your life. There's a better way. Indulge yourself. Trust yourself. Love yourself. Care for yourself. You got this, girl. You got this, man. Yeah, I do got this. It's a lie. I'm going to plead with you. Don't buy it. Ladies, I want to speak to you. Men, our regular, habitual, masculine sins can be categories with subcategories. Okay? Dominance, misguided aggression, or passivity, laziness, coasting in life, masculine sins. Feminine sins are things like deception, misguided desire. And there is, you see, I see, guys, we see this. Instagram is where I always see it. You know, you look at Instagram. If you're not on Instagram, you're like, oh, I don't know. It's always on Instagram. Women, Instagram culture is awful. It's awful. And especially young moms, Instagram stuff. You know, at Jordan and I, we, like, we talk about it regularly. It's garbage. And it's suscept- you're susceptible. When you're tired and exhausted, or you're working hard, you've got your career going, and you're working hard, and you see this stuff, and then you see the lies of the enemy, it sounds right. Deception is a feminine sin. It doesn't mean that men don't get deceived as well, but it's something you need to be aware of. Just like men need to be aware of not being dominant or misguided aggression. Ladies, be on guard. So instead of being conformed to the way of the world, well, there's something we should do instead. And God tells us. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind, meaning our mind and our thinking has to be renewed because our mind and our thinking was old and wrong. To be a Christian is to learn a whole new way of thinking, the right way of thinking. The world has an upside-down way of thinking that just seems normal and right. For the Christian, we are continually the rest of our lives being rewired to think biblically. To say what God says is right, not what I think or feel is right. What, what He has to say about this is what I'm going with. We are to be renewed in our mind. And our mind has to get rid of so much default and bad ways of thinking. And then what we're assaulted with when we walk out of these doors on every ad, on almost every TV show, on almost everything we see in our workplaces and at school or wherever, what we're inundated with is upside down thinking. And when you live in that, when that's where you live, it can be hard sometimes to navigate the truth from a lie. Students going to school, you have your peers, even at Christian school, you have all these different worldviews coming into Christian school, and you need to know what is the truth and what is a lie. And so we have to be renewed by 
our minds have to be renewed. Well, how do our mind, does our mind get renewed? Where our mind needs to be shaped by God's word, not the world. And I think it comes to, to really one simple question. Do you actually believe? I'm not just talking about signing a document and saying, I believe in the authority of Scripture. Or I believe that the, the, the Scriptures are inerrant. Do you actually believe that God's word is inerrant and authoritative or not? Or do you believe it's subject to your feelings? Or subject to way, the way you think? Because if you come to the Scriptures willing to accept some things that seem sensible to you, but not willing to accept other things, willing to do some things that sound right, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I love that. That's great. There's so many, uh, uh, there's so many philosophy pre professors throughout the whole country who would go and, and look to Jesus and say, look at the wisdom in Christ. Do unto others as, you, as they would, you would have them do unto you. Okay? That sounds great. If you come to the scriptures willing to accept things and live by things and, and not willing to accept other things and live by those other things, then you're not practically coming to the scriptures as inerrant and authoritative. Instead, you're arrogantly come to the scriptures assuming you're inerrant and authoritative. And there's only one of two opinions out here. You either believe yourself as a person, even the person who believes that all truth is relative and it's subject to uh, th this culture or that culture, you either believe that you are inerrant or authoritative over your life or you believe that God's word is inerrant or and authoritative over your life. There's no middle ground here. And so we are to come and be renewed by opening this book and hearing from God. By listening to sermons and opening up commentaries and give, do, using all the resources that God has given you. Doing a Bible reading challenge or regularly hearing from Him. Hearing God's Word through your phone. Where we can listen to the Word. And we are then transformed. And over the years, I mean, I've, uh, hopefully... I've got many more years to go, however many God, God would give me, but I plan on every year reading the Bible all the way through every single year. You know what? In, in 50 years, if I get to live 50 more years, I'll be 86. That's 50 more times to read through the Bible. That's pretty cool. You know what? I hope I'm a more godly man at 86 than I am right now. I really do. I hope my mind is thinking better even though I'll be forgetting my keys and I already do that kind of stuff now. At 86, you know, you forget some things. But even at 86, I'm hoping that I'm thinking more, I'm thinking more correctly then than I am now. And can we admit that our minds, no matter where we're at, there's aspects of our minds and our thinking that needs to be renewed. And I, I hope we can. And so if we come just willing to accept some, some things but not, not others... Well, we're not going to be renewed, but God tells us how to think. He tells us what's right and wrong. And here's what's crazy. By coming and being renewed by the scriptures, then we're able to test that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So if we're renewed by God's word, we can test something and discern, is this God's will or not? And we can, we can discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, let's reverse that. Without being renewed by God's word and living the way we used to live and being conformed to this world rather than God's word without being renewed, here's the deal. Here's how lost people are. They can't even tell what God's will is. They can't even tell what is good and what's evil. And they can't even tell what's perfect. 
And that's exactly what's happening in our world, and it's been happening in our world from the garden on forward. We don't know right, right from wrong. We don't know up from down. We don't know left from right. We don't know what's good. We don't know what's perfect when we see it. We can't discern what's right or wrong because we're thinking worldly rather than thinking according to God's Word. But when we're tested, when we know God's Word, when we're renewed in our mind, we now know what we can discern, what's good and what's not good. And every Christian can discern abortion's not good. That's murder. We can discern what God's will is. People who don't know God or are thinking according to the world don't know. They think it's okay to rip apart children. They don't know what's perfect. They don't know what's right. They don't know what God's will is. But when we're renewed in our thinking, we can live this life and we can discern through Proverbs-type wisdom or through the pages of Scripture and say, this is good and right and holy. That's a noble pursuit. I'm going for it. This is good and right. I'm going to fight for this. This is God's will. You're struggling in your marriage? I'll tell you God's will. It's to fight for your marriage. That's God's will. The world says if the marriage isn't fulfilling you, get out. If your spouse isn't doing what he or she's supposed to be doing, get out. Christianity says die to yourself. Get over yourself. That's the best path for healthy, for healthy, whole, loving, uh, living. Your best life now comes through dying. If you're conformed to this world, you can't know what God's will is. You have to be broken by God's first use of the law first. And then, I don't know if you... I was converted as a young boy. Well, there's been times in my life where I was thinking more worldly than according to God's word. Do you remember the things that you used to think? And how wrong it was? Do you remember the things, the, the pursuits that you used to go after and how silly they are now as you look back? You think, man, my desires were off. Why did I find joy in that? If I did that same thing that kept me laughing for hours again today, I would be weeping. It's because brothers and sisters, our minds are being renewed. The Holy Spirit's at work in us. And we're discerning by God's grace what is good, acceptable, and perfect. We're discerning the will of God. To be in the world is to be in an upside-down reality. It's not seeing things the way they are. And that's why worldly understanding even is wrong and off. So we are not to buy the lie of the world. So this brings application points to two different groups of people. So to the non-believer, it brings some applications point in that application points in that first use of the law. So let's just say it like this. If you're not a believer in here, you don't know how to think correctly. You don't know what God's will is. And you can't discern what's even perfect. And so I'm going to ask you to agree with God and his word and to repent of the way you've lived and the way you're living and trust in Jesus. Start agreeing with God and be forgiven today. Be made right with God today. And then, by God's grace, walk with Him and let your mind be renewed so you can know and discern what God's will is, what's good and perfect. The non-believer, I want to cry out to you to trust in Jesus who died for sinners just like you.
To the Christian, then, this, the application points are a little bit different. So as we hear this, we need to be reminded that the lies of the world will hold us back from the joy that's available in this life, actually. The self-indulgent Christian will not be as happy and will not live as good of a life as the self-sacrificing Christian. And if you have options before you to continue to live a self-indulgent life for the next, for however long your life is, or the next 10 years, I'm just telling you the next 10 years of your life will not be as good as if you begin to die to yourself. There's joy for you when you are renewed by the word and obey God that's there for you that isn't for you if you don't obey. I'm not saying you're not going to, I'm not saying that you're, going to be outside of God's grace or anything like that. But you, if you go walk in disobedience, or if you just keep in living for yourself, you will not experience the same level of joy. Self-focused living, it will end up turning you into a person who sees everyone as your enemy and in your way. So you'll have your plans and agendas that you've given to God and everybody else, and when anybody gets in the way of that, you'll see them as an enemy. And that's got to die. You may not vocalize it, but when you view everyone else as a person holding you back, in time you'll think that about God also. God, why aren't you fulfilling my dreams and plans? So here's the challenge, as clearly and concisely as I can say it. Quit it. Quit it. Whatever area you're walking in self-indulgence, Whatever area you're expecting everyone else to sacrifice and you're not willing to lift a finger, quit. Quit. And this week, hopefully this week's a little bit better. And you may have a terrible day this week where you lay your head in the pillow at the end of the night and think, I was the most selfish person on earth today and I lived to indulge myself today. Well, you can't change that day, so die to yourself in that moment, and by God's grace, do better tomorrow. Live sacrificially. So in light of all that God has done for you, and all of Romans, all the way leading up to 12, in light of all of God's, all that he has done to you, and all the promises that are yours in Christ Jesus, by the power of what he is doing in you, and the mercies that are there for you, die to yourself. Be a living sacrifice. Change the world. The world knows no joy like Christians get to experience as they die to themselves. That's where joy is found. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be more passionate to die to ourselves in our everyday life then we would be willing to burn at the stake for you. Just been thinking about that. It seems a whole lot easier to do something valiant or huge for you. And we just get our eyes a glossy look over our everyday life. This is really practical to me, this sermon is. Help me this week, Lord Jesus, to live sacrificially. Help us to live sacrificially. And ultimately, I thank you that, Jesus, you came to do this perfectly in our place. You came and lived this life 
thinking about us dying dying in our place the death we deserve to die that you literally came to put yourself in our place and sacrifice your very body that our bodies could be made whole and because that's true help us to respond Thank you for the kindness that is just Romans 1 through 2 or 12, 1 through 2, just telling us, hey, do this and don't do this. And help us to obey. It's going to be our joy to sing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If anybody would like to pray.